I think many of you know Dr. Allison um, through one connection or the other, but for many of you, this will be uh, your first time. He'll be in our pulpit, and you'll be meeting him. And so I wanted to give him a little introduction. Um, first of all, Dr. Allison has been the head of the Billy Graham Center here in Wheaton, and it's focused on evangelism. He's now presently on the staff of Wheaton Bible Church and speaks regularly as part of their preaching rotation. And um, but for us here, I think some more personal con connections are, uh, for me, he was a Wheaton Academy dad, and I think the last time I heard him speak was at our commencement, as he spoke at grad his son's graduation. Um, but also, he is a member of the Covenant Church, long time, was a pastor, and also in our evangelism um, department of the, of the denomination. But again, for our church here, his probably greatest credential is that we've gotten to know his wife, Marie, and we love her. And uh, we know that uh, she has such good taste and that um, we know a lot about Lon already. Now, I also know that he brought his amen corner. A lot of times I like my family to come and listen to me, so I see you have That's some of your family here. So they're going to be your amen corner. But we're just so delighted that this is your time in our pulpit, and we want to welcome you this morning. Thank you. Lon. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a wondrous worship experience I'm having with you here today. I needed it. And uh, I want to say thanks for the music choices. Just superb. I want to say thanks to the choir. That was not a rhythm that we do well easily. <laughs> and, and you guys just did a great job with that gospel song. And this uh, woman who, who led the children's thing. Yeah, Angela's her name? I want to use that as I travel around the world. She doesn't have to come. I'll have someone else do it. Gene, <laughs> since you brought up that uh, the last time you heard me speak was when I did it for you at the academy. I don't know if you heard what happened when I was leaving. My, uh, a couple of my kids were with me. And uh, a man walks up to me and he says, I, I was uh, offended, deeply offended by something you said. And I stopped to talk with him, and I said, well, please tell me what it is. And I don't know, you wouldn't remember this, but it's, the academy thing is outside, beautiful day in May, just great. And uh, uh, I love motorcycles and sports cars. So just remember that. And I'm speaking the message, and then right there on Prince Crossing, I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. It was the most lovely Harley Davidson sound I had heard and I'm kind of spontaneous so I just stopped and said listen everybody it's the voice of God <laughs> he, was, he was offended by that uh, I hope he wasn't one of your largest donors alright well thank you so much great to be with you I am glad to be able to use this text this morning Glad to be back actually speaking. I haven't spoken anywhere in about a month. Um, and so this is my first time back up, having come through some uh, light illness. So here we go. Um, all right. Uh, I'm going to take you back. Long, long time ago. Okay. I grew up in California. So did Marie. We came to Christ during the Jesus movement out there. I had absolutely no background at all. And before we knew it, we were planting churches in X-rated movie theaters, leading people to Jesus, and trying to disciple them. 
So at the end of each year, I would take a group of adults and their youth, and we would go to Mexico, and we would do projects and build homes for the poor. <clears throat> and this is my famous Shelley Allen story, because Shelley's dad came to me beforehand and said, I'd like to bring Shelley, but I'm not sure you'll want her there. And I go, oh, okay. Well, Shelley was at the age of California experimentalism and everything going on. And so as we're driving down from San Francisco, Highway 5, heading south toward LA, anything she saw, she would go, can we stop? Can we stop? Can we stop? And, and I would go, this isn't why we're going here. We're going to Mexico to build homes for the poor. Okay. All right, so we keep driving. I still remember when we got in LA and I got, still was on US 5. And uh, you go right past Disneyland. You go right past it. Oh, Pastor Lon, can't we stop? Can we go here? Can we do this? And I said, Shelly, this isn't why we're on this trip. We're on this trip to go to Mexico to build homes for people that are homeless. Okay. On we go through the beautiful palatial palaces of San Diego. And I'm playing James T Taylor to kind of warm us up. Oh, to Mexico. Never really been, but I'd sure like to go. You know, so we're getting in the mood. But Shelly is just, she was, this is pre-Madonna's material girl era. But she, she was it. But I had an ace up my sleeve. The ace up my sleeve is I knew we would cross that border into Tijuana. And it wouldn't take long. We got there about dusk. And we turned left and headed on the highway heading east, just south of the border. And suddenly the palatial palaces of San Diego had become cardboard shells of homes. I remember old hubcaps pounded together to form walls and no floors whatsoever. And the, at dusk, the van got terribly quiet. And then Shelley spoke. She was sitting right behind me in the middle seat. If we'd have done this again, I'd have put her in the far back. Uh, <laughs> but I'll still, she, was a, she became a prophet. She says, do people live there? And I said, yes. That's why we're here, to make a little bit of a difference. And then silence. And I don't know if it's 30 seconds or if it was a minute. But then this immense pathos climbed out of her soul, and this young woman cried out, we have to do something. I go, you got it. She was changed. Oh, we did stop at San Diego on the way home, but nobody thought the glitz and glitter was nearly as important as the lovely people we got to meet and the two houses we built for a couple of families. Um, you don't know Jesus Christ for very long before he starts placing his heart in your heart. And, and, and if you don't want to care for a broken world, don't get into Christianity. Because God's own heart bleeds for the lost world. Top to bottom, inside and out. That's what we see in our text today that Kurt read for us. Incidentally, Kurt, I don't know where you're at. So sorry I missed your webcast last week. You, can I come back at another time? 
He's, he's got a great webcast going in the apologetic field, everybody. All right. So in that text, in Matthew chapter 5, and I think we have it for the screen, don't we? So I, I just want to look at it with you for just uh, Matthew 9, excuse me. I just want to look at it with you for a few moments again. Because if you will, if you will, if you can take my story that I just gave as a metaphor, this is when Jesus crosses the border into Mexico with his disciples. And it says right at the very beginning of it that he went through every town and village, verse 35, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And if you will allow, while we tend to read scripture, when we read it publicly, we tend to read it with not a lot of important emotional attachment to it. But I, I believe that when he got to verse 37, he had seen it. He was feeling it. He was there in it. With all the brokenness and the sorrows and the lostness of humanity, I think when it says, then he said to his disciples, I think it was more like this. The harvest is ready, but there aren't enough workers. Pray. Pray for workers to be released into the harvest field. I love your bulletin cover this morning, and we've also had it on the screen, of just these growing wheat fields ready to harvest and not a combine in sight. God created me as an evangelist. I'm kind of weird. Marie's one, too. If I start coming to your church, you're really in for it. <laughs> but I know that my primary task is to stir up the church for the primary calling of our existence, which is to reach out, care, and save a lost world. Now, in that passage, there's a couple of nice, nice things that happen in it. Um, it. It says that he was proclaiming the good news, using his voice, speaking, and he was healing every disease and sickness. Do you notice there's no bifurcation there between speaking his faith and caring and showing his and displaying his faith? The, one of the biggest problems that's happened in the Christian church in modernity is the separation of the verbal gospel from the acted out gospel. And I want to say this to you. It's easier to care for people than it is to tell them about their sins and their need for Jesus. It's always going to be easier for every Christian to do acts of compassion and kindness than it is to get involved in people's lives and walk them one step at a time closer to Christ. 
But it was a never separation for Jesus. It says Jesus was telling them about the kingdom. Then in the next chapter, it says the kingdom of heaven. And remember the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer says to us, uh, pray this way, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth in the same way that it's being done in heaven. God intends to reach people through the gospel proclaimed, through the testimony that you give to your neighbor, to your co-worker. He brings people to faith. I heard you had a faith decision during the Explore God time here, that a, a, a person who had started coming, used to have some church background, recommitted his or her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's as a result of the gospel spoken. It has the power to save. I don't know why. I have a doctorate in this, and I felt like I knew less when I was done than when I was doing it. Right, Kurt? Amen. <laughs> but, but Paul says, even in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this to us. God decided through the foolishness of the gospel spoken to save some. I, I, I could have thought of some better ways, a nice video, you know, broadcast around the world. Hi, my name's Jesus. I'm coming back in exactly uh, 10 years, 15 minutes, and I want to offer you the free gift of salvation because the truth is a lot of you are sinners and your lives are terribly broken, and you know that as well as I do, and so I'd like to make you right. And then he would tell them of his cross, and he would do the whole deal. Better than Billy Graham. But he didn't. Why? Because even Jesus says, it's better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, that he won't come. And when he comes, he'll carry on through you. Now, Jesus saw, as he was proclaiming and healing every disease and sickness, he said he had compassion. He had Shelley Allen compassion in his own heart. Incidentally, in the Greek, that's the strongest possible word for feelings. In the Greek, it's splaganistes. It cries out of our inner being because he saw that they were harassed and they were helpless. When Jesus looked at the people, he saw that they were harassed, and harassed means beat up on every side. No matter where they turn, life is hitting them. Like a boxer in the ring who's being pummeled by a superior opponent. Wham, 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 and you can't get away. That's what the word harassed means. The second word helpless is even stronger. The word helpless means as good as dead. Mortal wound. I, I still am broken by this every time I speak it because I tend to see people by the kind of car they drive or the motorcycle that they drive or the house that they live in or on and on and on. But Jesus saw the core where deep down every single human being is being beat up by life and being beat up by themselves in their life and they have a desperate need to be born all over again. So then that leads Jesus to the prayer. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Now you might say, well, you know, if that, if that was those days. We live in America and we're pretty Christian. Well, no, we're not. We're not at all. We've got a brand new book coming out from the Billy Graham Center here in just a few months by Rick Richardson. And it's titled, You Found Me. And uh, the title is one that he chose and several of us helped him with because he did a lot of qualitative and quantitative research into the unchurched American. And he defined the unchurched American as someone who has not gone to a Christian church or service in six months. That was the definition of the unchurched American. Six months, no attendance anywhere, uh, wedding, funeral, Christmas, Easter, uh, anything. And the number of Americans that fit the unchurched American label is 150 million people. The unchurched American is the ninth largest nation on planet Earth. And so, though we can be tempted to think most everybody's a Christian, because we are, you know, you, you, you always think that the world is like the people you hang with. But it's not. The need is great out there. Um, oh, incidentally, in this research, too, we found out that um, uh, 90% of the unchurched Americans have some touch in their past with Christianity. Confirmation, children's stories, um, coming to church on a Christmas. Mom and dad made them go to Sunday school, and then mom and dad would go to Starbucks and have coffee. But they had some touch. 90% of the unchurched. So yes, are there people who have no background, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, there are. They're 10% of our population. Here's another thing. As, as he got into more extensive research with these people, um, he found out that 70% of them had never had a Christian tell them how to become a Christian. 70%. So the harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. And it kind of makes me shiver, if you will. Makes me shiver all over. To think that, was it my name? Was it your name? I think of Peter, James, John, Matthew, Simon, Bartholomew, the whole gang on their knees. A.D. 32, praying for you and me. Oh, yeah, I, I'm a pretty important guy. Apostle Peter prayed for me. Oh, yeah, you think you're important? Jesus prayed for me. We are the answers to the prayers of A.D. 32. Wow, that really gets me. So you say, whoa, whoa, okay, go on, good. Good, nice, nice theology, uh, facts, figures, helpful, good story to start with uh, that you can link a lot onto. How in the world do we become better? Because I don't know, because I don't know you guys, but I've, I've spoken in ugh, a whole lot of churches in the world, and I've never yet found a church where most of the people feel they're doing a good job at sharing their faith. 
It just kind of goes, could I ask for a hand raise? How many of you think I'm really good at sharing my faith and I do it whenever I have the chance? Okay, that's one, and I put my hand up because I'm supposed to. Okay, <laughs> there you go. So what are we, 100, 130, 40, 50 people? Yeah, it's, it's, it's who we are. So I think we can give you some help into how to make this a lifestyle. One of the uh, quotes that Marie found or came up with a few years ago that I use everywhere is, God wants the gospel to be on the tip of every Christian's tongue. On the tip of our tongues. How can that happen? Well, first of all, let me put up a slide which gives you a definition of what I think witnessing is. Okay, telling other people about Jesus. So do we have it up there? Okay. Uh, to cooperate with God and others to bring a person one step at a time closer to Jesus Christ. To cooperate with God and others to bring a person one step at a time closer to Jesus Christ. Now this is an immensely helpful definition and we've been using it for over 20 years and have published on it and everything else because it does a couple of things. First of all, it tells you that God's in the business of saving souls and it ain't all about you. Isn't that good news? It ain't all about me. Yeah, God's in this thing from top to bottom. The Lord Jesus Christ says in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me is drawing that person to me. Any of you who see Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back? More? Okay, good. Okay, there's, there's this early scene where, uh, where Han Solo is in the Millennial Falcon and they're trying to escape the, uh, the wicked ones. And, and they're heading for a planet that they think will be safe. And, and Hans is steering, and Luke's there, and Obi-Wan Kenobi's teaching Luke to do the... He just keeps saying, let the force guide you, Luke. Let the force guide you. So they got their training session going on in there. And then suddenly, all the buttons and bells are going, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and, and Obi-Wan or, or, or Luke says, hey, you're going to run into that planet. And he says, it just showed up. I don't know where it came from. Well, turn away. Turn away from that planet. And then the Star Wars, uh, um, yeah, Darth Vader's theme comes on. Bum, 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 bum. You know it. It's in the hymnal. Bum. <laughs> okay, well, what, it wasn't a planet, was it? It was the what? The Death Star. And its tractor beam was drawing the Millennium Falcon in as if they had no choice in the matter whatsoever. When Jesus says in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That verb draw can be defined as drags. It's the same word that is used later when they're dragging fish into the boat. So never think you're alone in the witness thing. God uses your words. God sweeps up your messes, fills in your blanks, and then he brings a cast of others to assist you as people are calling along. Cooperate with God and 
others to bring a person one step closer to Christ. This whole notion of God using others. I, I've just got a great story about it. We have found over the years, uh, Marie and I do, and some others do seminars, four-hour four to six-hour seminars on this whole thing. And we have found that on the average, most Christians can identify seven to ten people that were involved in their journey to Jesus Christ. It's not a solo sport. Seven to ten. So I was reading, I, I'd love to read if for my devotions, a wonderful booklet called The History of the Church Devotions. Listen to this. I'm not going to tell you who it is until the end. So that will keep you captivated. <laughs> At least homiletically, that's what we're told. All right. In Coweta, Oklahoma in 1921, a young mother prayed over her yet unborn son, dedicating him to the Lord's service. When the baby was born, his parents named him William. As a child, he showed little interest in any spiritual things, but his mother continued to pray for him tirelessly. William graduated from college in 1943, went to Los Angeles to seek his fame and fortune in business. But on his first night driving into Los Angeles, he picked up a hitchhiker. And the hitchhiker then sitting next to him said, what are you doing for dinner? And William said, nothing. I'm just driving into LA for the first time. I'm from Oklahoma. And so the hitchhiker said, well, a bunch of friends and I get together. Why don't you come over and eat with us? And so they invited him to come over and have food and then spend the night at the home where uh, the young man was living. The young man was working for a brand new organization called Navigators, an evangelical ministry. And it happened to be in the home of the founder, Dawson Trotman. Well, William was impressed by the hospitality the stimulating conversation as they talked about God and his role in life. And he saw the quality of life that Trotman and the navigators lived, uh, appeared to live that night. But he quickly forgot about it all as he went on his way the next morning to pursue his financial goals. He was going to become rich as a candy maker in Los Angeles. Okay, anybody know who this is yet? You cannot tell. Uh, you, okay, okay, yeah, okay. The three of you will go to heaven. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, so this thing goes on. Uh, the business he started was William's California Connection, uh, Confection, marketing gourmet foods to upscale shops. He was quickly achieving his dream of financial success. After repeated invitations from his landlords, he must have rented an apartment. After repeated invitations from his landlords, William began attending meetings for college students and young professionals led by a woman named Dr. Henrietta Mears. Anybody know that name? Yeah, great hero of the faith. And it met at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. Once again, he was very impressed by her and the other members of the group. He found them intellectually stimulating and successful, yet not materialistic and selfish as he was. He was already coming under conviction of sin. All right. He began to realize something was missing in his life. 
After a particularly challenging teaching by Dr. Mears on finding happiness at the center of God's will, William went home yearning for this inner happiness. And he later recalled, I knelt down beside my bed that night and I asked the questions which Dr. Mir had challenged us to pray. Who are you, God? What would you have me to do? In a sense, this was my prayer for salvation. It wasn't very profound theologically, but God knew my heart and he interpreted what was going on inside me. Through my study, I now believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died for my sins, and that as Dr. Mears had shared with us, if I invited him into my life as Savior and Lord, he will come in. I love to tell the story. Hasn't changed, has it, guys? There it is, the wonder of it all. He became a Christian. He enrolled at Fuller Theological Seminary. In 1948, he married his wife, Vonette. Late one night, 1951, while studying for his seminary exam, he had a powerful vision of helping to fulfill the Great Commission in his lifetime by evangelizing on college campuses. Greatly affected by the vision, he shared it the next morning with his professor, Dr. Wilbur Smith, one of the most profound evangelical historians we have in our history. And Dr. Smith that night had a dream. And he had a dream and he had a sense of what God was saying to young William. And he went back and told him about it. And the rest became history. Campus Crusade for Christ was formed. It was Bill Bright. Now, look at what's happened through that ministry. It is the largest Christian mission in the world. Over 20,000 indigenous missionaries in almost every country of the world. And just their one product called the Jesus Film has been viewed by over four billion people with registered 121 million conversions. Now, a mom who prayed for a son that wasn't interested, he goes to LA and he picks up a hitchhiker who takes him to a house where he meets several other people. They're cool people, they feed him, and they offer him a room for the night. That's Dawson Trotman. He moves into an apartment, and his landlords are Christians, and they keep inviting him to go to church with them. Finally, he says yes and does. Hollywood Presbyterian Church, Henrietta Mears. And then finding direction in his life, comes through the great Christian theologian and historian, Dr. Wilbur Smith. Count the people, one, two, three, 10, 15, 20. I don't know how many, but that's how God does it. Friends, listen to this. If you get nothing else of what I've said to you today, get this one. Not only is God in charge of salvation, but God brings you and others so that you don't do it alone. And to witness is only to help a person come one step closer at a time. You would say, well, who's the evangelist of record for Bill Bright? Some would say, well, it was Henrietta Mears. She was there that, no, he went home and prayed on his own. She wasn't there. Every person that was a part of that lineage from his praying mother were witnesses for that one life to be saved. It's the same with your children 
and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. It takes a village to save a soul. So, once we get into this thing, how do we make it happen? Well, we, we just like to say it's pretty easy. You, just what Jesus does. You get involved in prayer. You get involved in care. Healing every disease and sickness. And you get involved in share. Proclaiming the good news wherever he went. Prayer, care, share. You may have heard in the covenant we're using this thing called the blessed practices. And that's a really good term. But it's more complex than just prayer, care, and share. You say, well, what do you mean, Lon, prayer? Well, just as, as Pastor has challenged us to write down the names of three people that we know that don't know Jesus and pray daily and with our challenge partner that they'll come to know Jesus Christ. Maybe come to our church during Lent or on Easter. Pray for them by name. Secondly, prayer is always praying that God will raise up an army of people that have the gospel on the tip of their tongue. Care, pretty simple. Just carve out some time to listen to people, eat with people, and serve people. And you might say, oh, I would do that, but my work, I have, I have this work, and then I volunteer at the church, and I have my church family, and I challenge churches, especially churches that uh, uh, aren't growing fast. I say, if you would consider tithing the time you give to your church, to your neighbors, friends, and coworkers, you would see miraculous things begin to happen. The best way to care for them is to hang out with them. Prayer, care, and share. And then finally, share. Oh, the good news of Jesus Christ. He has changed me. He has changed you. Just let your mind muse on these four thoughts. Through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, I have forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, I have a personal living relationship with God. Through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, I'm being transformed a little more into his likeness every day. Through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, I have been promised the new heavens and the new earth. I guess that's why we call it good news. Thanks be to God. So church, you are sent, following the path of those of us who have gone before and those upon whose shoulders we stand. You are sent. All right, I've been asked also if I might lead us in a pastoral prayer this morning and then the Lord's Prayer, and it's my deep privilege to do so. Let us pray. Father, Son, Spirit, I come to you with joy this morning. I have heard you in your sanctuary. I have been a recipient of the fellowship of the saints. I didn't even know if I'd be able to talk for 30 minutes. But you have strengthened me. I'm overwhelmed by your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would help each one in the room today to be thankful for your many blessings. 
And then, Lord, of course, we come on behalf of our needs. Many who are here are ill or sick. In perhaps some cases it's terminal. Oh, Lord, when people are really ill, it's hard to even know you're real. So please, Lord, infuse stronger doses of your living spirit into those that are suffering. Care for each one that are here and our loved ones apart from us. Bless our pastor and the few men who have gone away this weekend. And we pray that you will bless their fellowship, bring them home safely. I pray for the covenant challenge, the opportunity to pray each day and read the same scriptures with a couple of people and then pray for three people by name, that they'll come to Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, bless this church. Bless the church, capital C, in this area. Lord, we've got about 267 effective evangel evangelical churches in this region. Please, Lord, supercharge them all with your gospel. And then, Lord, bless your church throughout the world, wherever she is meeting in the hours of this Sabbath day. We love you, Lord. We are grateful that you have saved us. And now, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would grant each person here the gospel on the tip of their tongues. Amen and amen.